0: To a new RFM, we're talking travel. Sally Lucas joining me, Jane Klein, and we're heading off... To the wild animals, some of the prehistoric ones and some of the current ones on a couple of different continents. Sally Lucas, wild animals, can you go much wilder than the dinosaur? <laughs> well, not really, but I just
1: thought this was really interesting because it was something I had not heard of. But it's called the Dinosaur Provincial Park and it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site about two and a half hours' drive southeast of Calgary in Alberta. The nearest town is a town called Brooks, which is about 48 k's. And it's situated in the valley of the Red Deer River, which is noted apparently for its striking badland topography. So I had to Google a lot of this because I didn't know what badland topography was. It's a lovely word, isn't it? it? It's a type of dry terrain where softer sedimentary rocks and clay-rich soils have been extensively eroded by wind and water. So you get uh, really steep slopes. If you go and have a look at Google this, you'll see the unusual shapes of everything. Minimal vegetation and um, high drainage density. So it's like a terrain of volcanic rock with canyons and ravines gullies all sorts of things so that was interesting and the other thing it has which again i had to google is that it is an area or a riparian zone and i didn't know what riparian was but it comes from a latin word reaper which means riverbank and it's the interface between the land and a river or stream. And it's very important, apparently, in ecology, environmental management, etc., because of the soil conservation and the habitat of biodiversity. Having said all that, however, it must have been lovely because the dinosaurs loved it. And there were over 40 species of dinosaur once roamed this area. And their bones are now f- f- fossilised fossilized throughout the landscape. And they reckon it's really incredible to do a sunset tour because you've got all this incredible sea. Scenery of this, these ancient-looking rocks, and you can probably just imagine, you know, the dinosaurs roaming through this area. So, yeah, it was decided it to be a, um, a world site in October the twenty-sixth, nineteen seventy-nine, because of. They're saying the nationally significant badlands and the riparian ha- habitat and also for the international importance of fossils. And since then, apparently, 500 specimens have been uh, removed and exhibited in museums around the globe. So it's a very important area. It's the most dense area or that they've found so
0: far of where dinosaurs once lived. So Discovering there we go. our ancestors. In Alberta. Mm. So and there uh, this is Talking Travel, of course, the show that improves your vocabulary.
1: <laughs> exactly. I'm learning something every. Every day, Jane, as they say, you know, you do, don't you? You learn something every day. Um, now, the other one we're going to talk about, we're still in Canada. It's the Grizzlies. And um, there was a lodge established in 1999 called Great Bear Lodge. And if you want to go onto a website called greatbeartours.com, you'll find information on this. And it's been recently named as the number third or three thing to do in Canada behind the polar bear safari in Churchill in Manitoba and the Northern Lights in the Northwest ter- Territories of The Yukon. So, in 2014, they've actually now got an eight-bedroom floating bear lodge, and it's been upgraded. And it's reached by a 50-minute seaplane flight from Port Hardy, which is just north, not far north of Vancouver. Um, Mid-July to mid-September is the best time to see the grizzlies. Um, If you want to see the polar variety, um, you've got to go mainly in October and November when they're on the move back to their seal hunting territory. So it's Canada's got a lot to offer, hasn't it, when you think about it? I mean, we, we, we always talk about the Rockies and that part of it, which is beautiful, but you've got the Yukon with its Number one, the Northern Lights, but also it was the old gold mining era. So you've got some very interesting areas in the Yukon, still like the Wild Wild West. And then you've got polar bears, you've got grizzly bears, you've got, you know, salmon jumping in rivers. And so Canada's a fabulous place to consider going. And there's some great little tours you can do to do that polar bear little three night escapes out of Vancouver. And it's apparently it's one of the largest areas of actual um, rivers and forest in, in Canada as well.
0: And this is before we go over to the East Coast. (laughs) Exactly. We haven't even got there yet. We'll do that. Another time. Another time. We're talking travel now for our sponsor, Travel On King. And, well, it's all about the animals today and the wild ones at that. And we're heading off to Africa now, Sally. We certainly are, Jane. And it was really an interesting article this week, um, which African
1: parks are right for you. And I thought, well, that's an interesting way of uh, putting a question because they are all different. And if you were to take the African continent so they say and wrap it around the moon almost 80% of the lunar surface would be covered. So it's quite amazing when you think of that. So with so much land there's no wonder that there's such a variety on offer at many of the um, national parks and reserves. So incredibly diverse but to give you an idea where some of them are and they're all I guess famous for different animals you've got the Bawindi National Park in Uganda and that's a UNESCO World Heritage Site which has got incredible landscape there with volcanoes and waterfalls, lakes dramatic mountain ranges and it's home to over 200 species of butterflies, 350 species of birds, chimpanzees, monkeys, antelopes and elephants. But of course, the main draw card are the mountain gorillas, which you can do. So that's what that one is famous for. Now, Chobe National Park in Botswana, we're now heading back down to, into the southern part of Africa, has got the largest population of elephants. And it's got the greatest concentrations of game found anywhere in Africa. So you can do boat trips along the Chobe River and it's best, obviously, for sighting elephants that's the main thing there Um, you've got Madikwe game reserve also in South Africa Um, it's a premier game viewing area it's malaria free and it's also home to the big five as well as the rare African wild dog cheetah giraffe hyena and again over 360 bird species that was the one thing I've mentioned before that really got to me when we did Tanzania and Kenya was the bird life and the, the colourful bird life as well, an interesting bird life. So you might go there looking for you thinking you just want the big wild animals, but truly the bird life is astounding. Maasai um, Mara, of course, that's in Kenya and that's ever changing as well. And it's famous, of course, for the, the uh, Maasai tribal people who live there and the wildebeest migration, which is, again, which a lot of people like to go there when that happens, which is around the July time of the year. Um, You've got a lovely uh, other one is the Ngorongoro Crater Conservation Area of course which is all in a big volcanic crater and they call that Africa's Garden of Eden and it's really got an abundance again of you know huge large herds of zebra, wildebeest, elephant, hippo, gazelles, all sorts of deer you can just oh, the range of deer, again, is amazing, the different types of deer you see, right down to tiny miniature ones, which are just unbelievable. Um, then you've got, of course, Serengeti, and that means endless plains in Maasai, and it's one of the world's largest wildlife sanctuaries, and it's got an amazing range of wildlife there as well. Um, and then you've got Tarangira. Now, that was a surprise to me. It's a lot smaller national park in Tanzania, but it's very forested, which a lot of the others aren't. You've got lots of, you know, open sort of plains, if you like, as well. And it has more uh, water supply there than any of the other game parks. So it's especially famous again for its large population of elephants. We can see herds of even up to 600 at any time. So that's quite amazing. But it's also home to lions, leopards, wildebeest, zebra, waterbuck, tar beasts giraffe kudu oryx etc etc so and there's um, a company called sanctuary retreats and they've got um, camps in all of those parks that we've just mentioned if you ever want to look at their website sanctuary retreats and they call all their resorts are called sanctuary something so yes there's a great range to have a look at there and Jane, I just thought we might go again just to end off this segment. Some of the um, top tips to pack smart when you go on holidays. Oh, pack
0: smart. We need, need to know this.
1: We do. And everyone has a different way of packing. I know that. You know, do you roll or do you pack flat? Um, the theory is really rolling instead of folding does um, have less crushing and, of course, you can fit more in. Um, And travel light, of course, that's the main thing. I mean, if you can make do with a carry-on, good luck to you. I wish I could, Um, but, you know, try and take half the things you need and twice the money maybe and buy some new things and a new suitcase to come home. There's Um, always
0: washing facilities, isn't there? That's
1: right. Um, Pack a sleeping mask and earplugs, they can really come in handy, both on the plane. You know, um, I find on a plane that just the noise of the engine, even though the A380 is a lot quieter, I still like to have the earphones. I find they do make a lot of difference. Um, I shouted myself those nice Bose ones recently for both my husband and I and then noise cancelling so you can still listen to whatever's on the movies but you take them off and you can't believe how much noise it actually cuts out So they're worth, I think, investing in if you're a regular traveller. And for ladies, a sarong or a pashmina is handy because you can use it as a scarf to cover yourself if you've got to go into a temple or a church where it's required. It can be used as a blanket or as a shawl on an evening out. So it only takes up no room and it's worth it. And also lots of little Ziploc bags are handy and save space. You can push all the air out of them. And we often do that. So all your undies might be in one, your shirts or your T-shirts. And you can pack that way if you're a flat packer and you don't like rolling as is to use that and you know create compartments if you like so you've got one compartment for this etc that way you know exactly where to look for what you need
0: that's important
1: that's important now another suggestion was if you're uh, traveling as a couple to split your clothes between two suitcases in case one of them gets lost on flight so you've always both of you have got some clothing. I hadn't thought to do that, but there yeah, you go. Yeah,
0: pretty smart.
1: Yeah, and bring a multi-socket extension cord, even though, you know, most of the newer hotels have USB ports in rooms. It's always, you know, to have an extra outlet if you've got a lot of electronic devices, or like when we took Uh, and went to Africa, we took three cameras. So you always needed, you know, things to charge up and plus if you've got a laptop or an iPad or whatever. And, of course, photocopy everything before you leave home or log log it into your phone if you're taking a phone or an iPad to So you've got copies of everything that's important to you.
0: Thank you, Sally Lucas. Thank you. We'll look at some other great parts of the world next Friday after the 1 o'clock news for our sponsor, Travel On King, on 2NURFM.